0: This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Northwest Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth, according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 1708 Elm Springs Road in Springdale, Arkansas. All right, good morning, everyone. Uh, You would think the more I do this, the easier it'll get, but it's not so. Uh, Today, I like to talk about not being fashioned to this world. In this age of social media it seemed that everyone wants to hop on the newest and latest trend without thinking of what they are doing, of what the meaning behind it is that they're doing. They just go along with the trends. They are fashioning themselves to be like everyone else. And this is a problem. Because the world really is trying to shape us and our kids into something that we are not. Maybe, I don't know if you heard this, but farmers in Japan have started growing um, watermelons to, uh, into a square shape. And they do this in order to be able to fit better in the fridge, that way when they cut it as well it won't roll away. They do this by placing a glass cube around the watermelon while it is yet small. And it will eventually grow into the shape of the container as you can see in the picture. I mean, it's crazy to think that a watermelon that naturally grows round, how it can be shaped by the, its surroundings. And this happens because it is molded to that glass container. And the same thing can happen to us. The Bible says in Romans 12:2, it says, And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. This world really does try to influence, influence us to be something we are not. Yet, we are not to conform to this world. We must be transformed, and all of that is done by the renewing of our mind. It all begins by not being conformed, or as the American Standard Version, version puts it, be not fashioned. We are not to be conformed to this world, to the moral rules, to the moral laws, the feelings this world has, or expresses the manners of this world. It's true that we should not follow this world, but we are told to follow the laws of the land. We are told so, told to do so in the Bible. In Romans 13, it tells us that we are to be in subject to the authorities of the land, for they were put there by God. But you see, once these laws start contradicting God's laws, that's when we have the problem. That's when we should not conform to... Or, Conform or be fashioned like the world. Why is this? That is because some in this world live in the vilest manner. We see it every day. We just turn on your TV. We see it on the news. Laws being passed every day that go against God's laws. Same-sex marriage, abortion laws, and the the list goes on. But most importantly, we know this because the Bible tells us this. The Bible says in Romans 1, 25-32, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the, the creature more than the creator? Who is blessed forever, amen? For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use and that which is against nature. And likewise also men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another. Men with men, working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves the recompense of their error which was meet, And even as they did not, retain, did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. To do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, m- m- li- Whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents without understanding, covenant breakers without natural affections, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do it. We must not follow this world." Many of you may have heard the saying, birds of a feather flock together. Maybe you've heard it, maybe you haven't. But what the saying is trying to say is, you are the people you hang out with the most. So if you hang out with a bunch of losers, don't be surprised when you're a loser. The same goes for us. If we hang out with the world, we are going to be of the world. We must not be among the masses because the masses usually lead us to trouble, and the Bible warns us numerous times in the Bible. For example, in Exodus 23, 2, Thou shalt not follow a multitude to do evil, neither shalt thou speak, in a cause to decline after many to rest judgment. The very first verse in Psalms, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the, con- in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth, sitteth in the seat of the scornful. In Proverbs 1, 15-16, My son, walk not thou in the way with them. refrain thy foot from their path, for their feet run to evil and make haste to shed blood. So instead of fashioning ourselves to this world, we are to fashion ourselves to Christ. Right? The Bible says in Philippians 1, 21, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. To live is Christ, Paul says. Our sole aim in living is to glorify Christ, rather than ourselves or this world. I mean, doesn't the Bible tell us to not love the world, neither the things of the world? For what shall it profit us if we gain the whole world, but yet we still lose our soul? Jesus is the only thing that matters. We must also be abstinent. While the world freely lives in its indulgences, we are to... Be abstinent. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5.22, abstain from all appearances of evil. This includes everything we just read about in Romans 1. All unrighteousness, fornications, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, Ma- malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, the proud, the boasters, the inventor of evil things, those disobedient to parents, those without understanding, the covenant breakers, those without natural affection, implacable, and the unmerciful. We as Christians must learn to deny ourselves. We must remain unspotted of this world. Jesus tells us that, and so does James, James tells us in James 1, 27, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. James made it clear to us, do not become contaminated by this world. James also tells us that Christianity is at ends with the world. You have the world on this end and Christianity on this end. They're completely Opposite ends of the spectrum. In James 4, 4, it says, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity or hostility with God? Whosoever there be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Notice how James starts that verse off. Ye adulterers and adulteresses. He's not speaking literally here, but what he means when he says this, he is talking about being a covenant-breaker. Just as when someone commits adultery in their marriage, he is breaking his marriage covenant with his wife. It's the same idea, it's the same principle, that by being friends with the world, we are breaking our covenant with God. I want you to think about the life of Hosea. Hosea. God used Hosea's life. Hosea representing God and Gomer, his wife representing the nation of Israel to demonstrate how adulterous the nation of Israel had been. You see, while God remained faithful to the nation of Israel, Israel, on the other hand, they kept going out into the world and worshiping false idols, false gods. You see, their their worldliness was spiritual idolatry, uh, adultery, and so is our worldliness as well. Jesus said in Matthew 12, verse 30, He says, He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. Jesus said, You are either with me or you are against me. There is no in between. He would rather us be hot or cold, but not lukewarm. You see, love for God and love for the world cannot and will not coexist. We cannot serve two masters. The Bible says in 1 John 2.15 Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. It's incompatible. Many, have, many w- maybe remember this toy where you try to fit the, the block into its proper whole. And it's the same way, the same principle as well. You can't fit the square block into that round hole. But what I'm trying to get at with this illustration is that you can't fit the world into the Christian man. And vice versa, you can't fit the Christian man into this world. We actually uh, read about someone in the Bible who was so gun ho to be serving next to Paul, and that was Demas. Demas served next to Paul, and, and Paul had great confidence in his brother, But you see, Demas stepped away because he was sucked into the cares of this world. And we read about this in 2 Timothy 4.10. The Bible tells us, For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica, Creations to Galatia, and Titus to Dalmatia. When it says that he loved this present world, it's talking more about some of the comforts non-Christians had at the time. You see, during the 1st century, Christians had a lot to worry about. They had to worry about persecution from the Roman officials, from other citizens, from even their own Jewish brethren. They had to worry about being burned at the stake, being eaten by lions during the Roman games, or even being thrown into jail just for simply being a Christian and worshipping God. Yet, the non-Christians had not to worry about this. And Demas While traveling with Paul, saw what Paul had to endure on his mission trips. And unfortunately, Demas was not ready for that. So Demas forsook Paul for this present world that now is for all its cares, troubles, and comfort. Demas wasn't looking at the long term. He was focused on the here and now. Unlike the square watermelons that have been molded by their surroundings, we cannot be molded by this world. But instead, we need to be transformed by the Word of God. That's what Paul tell, told us in Romans 12.2. He said, he said, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You see, for the Christian life is a changed life. The Bible says in First 1 Thessalonians 1, 1.9, For they themselves show of us what manner of entering and we had unto you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the true God, the God. The living and true God. Just like the Thessalonians once used to serve idols, we too used to serve our own idols, whether it was some person's uh, money, material things, whatever it was, we all had to turn and serve the true and living God. But for some, of, for some it was a drastic change. Peter talks about some who had to turn from some wild things. In First Peter 4, verse 3 to 4, the Bible tells us, for the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles, when we walked in lasciviousness and lust, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, wherein they think it strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. Peter tells us, life has changed for all of us. We are no longer to run. With the Gentiles, he says. If anything, think of it this way. Think of a race, and everyone is going in one way, except that one person. That one person is you. It is me. It is us. You're the only one going in the opposite direction. And everyone in that race is going to think you are strange, that you're different, that you've lost your mind. They'll begin talking about you, saying, "Did, Did you see that guy? He's going the wrong way. What a fool doesn't even know the, lo- the finish line is that way. BC, brothers and sisters, we have a different finish line we are striving for, a different prize that we are striving for. People are going to think strange of you when you don't go along with them, when you don't go partying with them, when you don't go drinking with them. They'll say, oh, he's a Christian now. He's holier than thou. He thinks he's way better than all of us, even though it is a drastic change a difficult change, know that it is the right change. The Bible tells us that the sufferings of this present world are even worthy to be compared of the glory that is expecting us. Ultimately, we have been transformed from slaves of sin into slaves of righteousness. This is what Paul tells us in Romans 6, 17-18. The Bible says, but God be thanked. Notice what Paul starts starts it off. Thanks be to God that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. Jesus also said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Many of us are, are now freed from the bondage of sin and have become the servants of righteousness through the grace of God. But this is going to require some transformation. And in Colossians, the third chapter, Paul gives us a number of things in order to complete this transformation. Colossians 3.1, it says, "...if ye then be risen with me, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God." First and foremost, we must seek those things that are above. Isn't that what Jesus told us to do as well? Didn't he tell us to seek ye first the kingdom of God? Our aim is towards heavenly things, towards holiness, towards righteousness, towards patience, towards self-sacrifice, towards love. This is our aims as Christians. These are the things we must seek after now. In the very next verse, verse 2, Paul tells us to set your affection on things above, not on the things of earth. He tells us we are to set our mind, that's what he means there, on the things above. And Philippians 4.8 gives us a list of things that we can add, things that we should think upon as well. Philippians 4.8, the Bible says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Our mind, our thoughts, our interests should be on the heavenly world, not on the earthly things, such as wealth, pleasure, status, and so forth. This is not what we ought to be thinking about anymore because this is what the world thinks about. This is what the world sets their minds to. Further in the chapter, uh, Paul tells us of what to do, uh, further steps to complete this transformation. Colossians 3, 5-9, Paul tells us to mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked some time, when ye lived in them. But now ye also put off these, and he lists off, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth, lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds." Paul then tells us we must put on the new man. In verses 12-14, through 14, the Bible tells us, Put on therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye, and above all these things put on charity, which is the bond of of perfectness. I want you to use this as a visual aid. The old man is this worn out suit that's been caught up in the cares of the world. He is told to put it off, to get rid of it, destroy it, burn it, do whatever you have to do, but just get rid of it. But he is then told to go on and put on this new, beautiful, spotless suit without wrinkle, without blemish. This is what Paul is telling us to do as well. And it all begins with the mind. In Romans 12, 2, once again, Paul tells us, And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. As we approach the new year, many, many of us will have New Year's resolutions. We want to lose weight, eat healthier you know, work out more, all great things. But a lot of people forget one of the most important things, and that's the mind. To many of us, our mindset is a governor. And by governor, I don't mean someone who has a political office. Uh, By governor, I mean a device that you put into your vehicle and it limits the power, the speed limit you can go. It limits its true power of what the car can do. And, um, For many of us, our mindset is our governor. It limits us. Before the year 1954, many people thought that it was impossible to run a mile under four minutes. Everyone in the running world thought it was physically impossible. There is no way the human body was capable of completing such a feat. But that was until a man named Roger Bannister from England on the day May 6, 1954, broke that very four-minute barrier with a time of uh, three minutes and 59 seconds. You see, Roger Bannister made it possible, and within the next 45 days, a man named John Landy broke that same four-minute barrier with a time of three minutes and 58 seconds, faster than what Roger had previously done. And it wasn't even a year later that three more runners within the same year within the same race, sorry, broke that same four-minute barrier. And ever since then, thousands of runners, all the way from high school to Olympians, have broken that same four-minute barrier. So what changed? What happened? The mindset changed. People kept saying, it's not possible. No one can ever run that fast. And people believed it, and it was stuck in their mind. They placed a governor in their own minds. But I tell you this to say this. If we say to ourselves, I can never give up my vices, I can never give up my ways, I can never live a Christian life, I can never follow God's will, well, guess what? You never are going to, which is why we need to renew our minds. Maybe you heard this saying, you are what you eat. But it's, while it's just a saying, it definitely applies to us because you are what you think. You are what you read, you are what you watch. You are who you hang out with. If you put garbage into your mind, do not be surprised when garbage comes out. Earlier this year, my wife and I uh, traveled to Alabama, and in doing so, um, we had to cross over the Mississippi River. And we saw the vast width of this massive river system, this river that spans from the north to the south of the United States. And I was enamored being a fisherman of this massive river, right? But, it, was, it, was not, it is not the cleanest river. It is really dirty. This river serves as a drain system for many farms and factories and cities in the Midwest. And I don't know how many here know how to clean up a river like that. But the only way would be to stop polluting it, to stop putting junk into it. And eventually that river is going to clean itself out. We are the same way. Our minds are polluted and we need to clean it out. We need to stop putting junk into it. We need to stop reading junk, listening to junk, associating ourselves with junk. We then can begin the process of cleaning our minds. So how do we renew our minds? What, what, what must we do? We do this by how the Bible tells us to, by proving what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In other words, by constantly testing our knowledge. The Bible tells, tells us in 2 Timothy 2.15, it says, Study to show thyself approved, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Paul here tells Timothy, study, study to show yourself approved, that you may be able to rightly divide the truth. I ask you this: How does one learn a new skill? How does how does one learn a new language? That is by the constant testing and quizzing of yourself. A prime example of this is uh, for a while, me and my wife uh, began implementing the, the the memorization of a new verse every week. Uh, so I text her midday like, "Hey, have you been reading? Have you been thinking about the verse?" And she tell me, "Yeah, I've been reading it here and there uh, while I was at work, while I was on break, or whatever." And I tell you, I'll let her know, that's great. But it wasn't until she arrived home while we were sitting in front of the TV when I'd, when I'd ask her, hey, can you recite that verse, uh, this week's verse for me? She had to prove herself. By doing this, she was renewing her mind to think, to read, to meditate on the Word of God. It's all about trying to clean our minds out of all this junk that is in there, and fill it with the truth. By this newly gained knowledge, this renewed mind, we will be able to understand what is good, to understand what is evil, and what is God's will for us. You see, for our Christian duty is to overcome evil. The Bible puts it plain and simple in Romans 12, 21. The Bible says, Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. We must be able to distinguish evil from good. That way we're not influenced by evil to commit it. Instead of being influenced by sinners to sin, we must in turn do the the same. We must influence the sinners to righteousness. Another thing we'll learn, we'll know what is required of us. The Bible says in John 7, 17, if any man will do his will, God's will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or God or whether I speak of myself. By doing God's will, we will know what is truly good. When we seek to understand God's will, we we will definitely learn certain things, such as the most and honest, easiest way to obey God is to become familiar with the Bible and what the Bible tells us. For Scripture is God-breathed. 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. It's as if God spoke it Himself, and that is because He did. Also, those who make a true effort to understand God's will will not complain or fight against the doctrines that are in the Bible, as we see many people do today, especially towards the doctrine of baptism. I have not seen no other doctrine be fought back against more than this one. People try to find every which way to make baptism unnecessary for salvation. But if people will approach the Bible with a true and honest heart, they could see what God's will is for us. Brethren, you don't need to be some great scholar in order to be a Christian and be convinced of what the Bible tells us. I mean, look at me. There's nothing special about me at all. I'm not some great scholar. I don't have some great knowledge. I'm not even that good of a speaker. But I'm just a regular guy with a regular job, regular life, trying to follow God's will with a true and honest heart. And that is what God wants out of us, to do His will. Solomon, in the book of Ecclesiastes, at the very end of the book, had this to say. Ecclesiastes 12, 13. He says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandment, for this is the whole duty of man. Solomon dropped a, so long story short, to summarize everything I just wrote to you, to summarize the whole purpose of life, fear God, keep his commandments. That is it. One of my favorite verses in the book of Genesis is, uh, is about Enoch. We are told about Enoch, of how he was the father of Methuselah, one of the oldest mans in the Bible, and um, how he lived to be 365 years. And in Genesis five twenty-four, it tells us that Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. After 365 years, all we get is that Enoch did not see death, and God took him. Then in Hebrews 11, gives us a little bit more detail about Enoch. In Hebrews 11.5, uh, the Bible says, By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found, because God had translated him, for before his translation he had this testimony, that he pleased God. Brothers and sisters, unfortunately, this may not be the case for many of us. Many of us will see death, if not all. But if one thing should be written on our tombstone, if one, thing should, if one thing people should remember us by, let it be this testimony as well, that you feared God, that you kept His commandments, that you pleased God, that you walked humbly next to Him. This should be our whole aim and our only purpose in life. And it will all begin what with Paul told us in Romans 12, 2. He told us to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. It all begins by not being conformed to this world, but instead by being transformed. And that ultimately begins with baptism. I talked about how we should put off the old man with his, with his old deeds and put on the new man. And in Romans 6, Paul tells us, gives us some instructions of how to do so as well. In Romans 6, 3-7, the Bible says, Know ye not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of His death, we shall be also in the likeness of His resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin, for he that is dead is freed from sin." Just as Jesus was crucified and killed, we too must crucify and kill off our old sinful man. Be buried, then be raised up in the newness of life, which is that new man, just as Christ was raised up. That one day we will be raised up in the likeness of his resurrection as well. But brothers and sisters, it doesn't end here it doesn't end with baptism. It's a constant struggle, a constant renewing of our minds. Peter also gives us some good practical steps in exercising our faith in our Christian duties. And Second Peter one five through ten, Peter tells us, and beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness For if you do these things, ye shall never fall. Peter says, if we do these things, we shall never fall. We are talking about practice here. So let us do these things that Peter talks about. And as I conclude today, if you need any help in any of these areas that I just spoke on, any of the areas that Paul told us about any of the areas that Peter mentioned here. Let your request be made known today, and, I'm, and surely one of the brothers can assist you. So as we stand and sing, let your request be made known. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Christ, send us a message at slash cfcnwa. To find more sermons, look for us on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Spotify and like our Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and God bless.